0: Welcome to the Celebration Church Tri-Cities Podcast. We are so grateful that you have chosen to spend part of your day with us. We are praying that God speaks to you through this message from our pastor, Robert Russell. For more information about our church, visit cctri.org. Enjoy the message.
1: Now, what I've been doing here for a while is talking about abundant life. And, of course, it's based on that one scripture where Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full or have it abundantly. And I raised the question early on, are you experiencing abundant life? I tried to experience abundant life before I knew Christ by diving into the world in a lot of different ways and found all of those things empty and hollow. And as I've walked with him for many years, decades now, I've learned that abundance is found in him. In fact, you could pretty much look at whatever the world says, this will give you fullness of life. Find out what is the opposite, and there it is. Because basically, we talked about, for example, that abundant life, abundant mental life is believing the truth, walking in truth. The world says there is no truth. And the world basically is led by the father of lies and encourages you to believe lies. Pretty much in every area, find out what the world says and look in the other direction. Last week, we looked at the idea of an abundant physical life. And the world says to find an abundant physical life, you must indulge all of your sensual pleasures, that you'll find the most excitement and joy in life if you indulge yourself completely. And yet, if you go down that path, you will find that there is guilt and shame, sometimes destruction, sometimes even death. I think the saddest, or one of the saddest aspects of what I've done as a pastor is do funerals for people who've chosen very self-indulgent courses that led to an early exit from this life. Because not only does it, is it sad for them, it's sad for everybody who knew them and loved them. But you see, Christ said that abundant physical life is found in him and what we find is in the fruit of the Spirit is where all of the characteristics of an abundant life can be found. We talked last week about this scripture in Galatians where it says that we live not, we are not to live by the sin nature or by the flesh, the appetites of our natural inclinations, but rather by the Spirit. And what the Spirit desires is contrary to what the flesh, the sinful nature, desires that we must learn to submit all of the good appetites that God has given us to the spirit rather than to sinful desires. And the primary thing we talked about in this regard is from the fruit of the spirit, where it says that the fruit of the spirit are love, joy, peace, and so on, and finally, self-control. I do not believe there is a single physical desire in which you do not need self-control. And that you will actually find abundance, freedom, and joy as you have greater and stronger self-control in your life. You talk to any person who was ever addicted strongly, like to alcohol or something, who was in it for years, who was a prisoner. They were in bondage. They were desperate to get out but couldn't. Who finally broke free. And then after having done so for a long period of time enjoyed the freedom of the self-control to say no to that which would destroy them. And I did mention last week, though, that we should not emphasize the self in self-control too much. Because these are the fruit of the Spirit. That you do not manufacture self-control in your own strength, but rather it's the Holy Spirit in you as you cooperate in your will and make choices that are godly choices, he strengthens you in those. He doesn't override your will. He doesn't zap you with self-control, but you must still make a choice to say no. And every time you say no to that which would be destructive or yes to that which is good, the Holy Spirit strengthens you in that, and then he is the one that manifests self-control in your life. And therein is where you find abundant physical life. Now, where I want to go this week is I want to talk about abundant love life. I thought that was a pretty catchy title. few people might even say, I'm going. In fact, I'm going to be there early this week. But as you know, as we study these things, it may not be what the world thinks. And so before I start this portion of the teaching, let's pray together. Lord, we do ask that your Holy Spirit would be upon each individual heart here, that you do reign over all things, but you reign in our individual hearts as we submit to you. And I pray this day that you would break any hard places, that you would plow up the fallowed ground of our hearts to bring healing and wholeness and deliverance and freedom, that we might know what it is to have an abundance of love in you. The Scripture does say in 1 Corinthians 13... And of course it's the love chapter That the three that are most important Are faith, hope and love But the greatest is love But when you think of love Or if you had to define love What would you say? And further If you were to think about How you gained your concept Your perception Or definition of love Where did it come from? A few days ago, I was listening to a Focus on the Family broadcast, and there was a couple on there who now do marriage counseling, but they described their journey. They'd had a difficult journey. They married after going to college and uh, had a few good years. Their careers were going really well. But the lady described that her heart had become disconnected. She no longer felt Romantically drawn to her husband just didn't feel a sense of romantic love for him And as it happened there was a co-worker in her company that she started talking to he was married to And at first they were sharing with one another about their mutual problems in their marriage But the discussions led to more and more and eventually she had an affair with him And after some time period, she divorced her husband, even though they had two children. It came as a complete shock to him. Now, the interesting part of that story was they stayed divorced for seven years and then reconciled and remarried. And they've been remarried, I think they said, for about 20 years, and they do marriage counseling now. And she shared that a big part of her problem was her concept of love. She even said that she had gained her concept of love from the media, from television shows, other things like that. I don't think she mentioned movies, but I'm sure that was an influence. That she defined love as this romantic episode that was always filled with emotional things that made one feel good, and it was that false concept that led her to look at temptation when it came her way because the temptation excited her idea of love, but she found that was false, allowed God to renew her mind and her heart, and realized that she wanted to reconcile with her husband. Now, that's a pretty interesting story. But I think what she described about her, finding her definition of love from something in the world is probably what is the truth for most people. I mean, if you were to define love, if I gave you an exam, you know, I like to give exams during this series. And I know somebody says the answer is Jesus. Yes. But this is not a one-word Exam. This was, you're going to be 10-page minimum. Immediately, some of you went, double-spaced or (laughs) single-spaced? And you have to define love. Well, see, how many of you could say that you have seen a model of godly love? That you've seen it. Maybe you saw it in your parents. Maybe in a grandparent. Grandparents, maybe in somebody else who was very close to you. A model of godly love. As I said that, though, most of you probably thought about the love between a husband and wife, and that's good. But I thought about this friend of mine who had a very unusual circumstance. He was about 21 or 2 years old, and he had two younger siblings, both of whom were minors. And both of his parents died, not at the same time. I think it happened over a period of a year or two. And he ended up becoming the legal guardian of his siblings and raising them. Now, to me, and he did it well, that's a model of love. A lot of people would have run from that responsibility, especially at that age, thinking I've got my life to live, all my dreams, all the things I want to accomplish. And, but he loved his siblings unconditionally. You see, a lot of us have a definition of love that's way too narrow It's strongly influenced by the culture, and the culture's definition of love is primarily erotic. You know, there are four Greek words for love. There's phileo, brotherly, storge, more like friendship love. There's eros, which is erotic, and then there's agape. And our culture defines love with erotic, romantic love which is very sensual very fleshly very deceptive and also very fleeting the scripture says this over in first john it says dear friends let us love one another for love comes from god everyone who loves has been born of god and knows him whoever does not love does not know god because god is love And in all of the places there where the word love is used, it is agape. It's unconditional. It's not love based on how I feel. It's love that is from the Spirit of God in me, a fruit of the Spirit. The first in the list of the fruit of the Spirit is love that comes forth even when I don't feel like it. One that perseveres through difficult things. Who cares for someone who can do very little for themselves. I don't know if Louis mentioned it, he may have, during the worship time, but Dave Ferris, who played percussion for us, died just a day or two ago. He had fought cancer for... Over a year, maybe close to two years. And I went to see him Wednesday. I'm glad I chose that day because he was aware that I was there and he could barely speak to me. But Dave was staying at his mother's home. She was taking care of him. Her husband died three years ago. So here she is, a widow... Now taking care of her son Who's dying And she said to me She said mother shouldn't have to do this Yet I'm sure there are others in this room Fathers and mothers Who've had to go through that journey But just as I watched her take care of him When he could do very little for himself I realized there is an example of godly love, of unconditional love, a mother's love, doing everything she could for him to the last moment. And she told me that she had reached the point where she had released him to God. She had accepted that it was best that he go. See, what is your model of love, your definition of love? Is it based on the world? If it is, it will deceive you and undermine your life. You will not have an abundant love life if you follow the ways of the world. See, an abundant love life is from Christ. It's unconditional. It's to love every person God puts in your path, especially the difficult ones. especially the ones who have struggles. The porcupines, the ones when you come near, their quills go up. You see, the rest of that scripture says, this is how God showed his love among us, that he sent his son, his one and only son, Christ, that this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice is the rest of that verse that no greater love hath one man for another than to lay down his life for him. And you see, the greatest love is demonstrated by Christ, not in the ways of the world, in fact, in the exact opposite ways of the world. Even the disciples were confused. Like when they came to arrest Jesus, Peter wanted to cut the ear off of the guard and so forth, and and he tried to defend as the world defends. Judas was so disappointed, he betrayed Jesus, thinking, well, at least I'll get something out of this. But you see, his pathway was the exact opposite of the world, and if you want to have an abundant love life, you will follow the path of Christ. It's not loving according to my flesh, not according to my erotic desires, It's loving unconditionally even when nothing in me wants to do so. Sometimes God will give you a path where in your heart you think, Lord, anything but this. I think of the prophet Hosea who had to marry Gomer, the woman who was a prostitute. Don't you think in his flesh he thought, Lord, could I have a different wife? But God said this is the path in Hosea. Everything about Hosea says that he did what? He exactly obeyed the will of God. And not only demonstrated unconditional love to her, demonstrated unconditional love to the nation of Israel and for all of history. That's the way of Christ. Now there is a scripture that tells us about abundant love. It's a story where Jesus is going to the house of the Pharisee. He's going to have a meal there. And as he goes, there's this woman who hears about him being there, and she comes. And we pick up the story here where Jesus turns, and he says, do you see this woman? He said, I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet. Now, what did he mean by that? Normally, in the upper echelon of society at that time, you would have a servant who would wash the feet of people coming into your house because people wore sandals, their feet were dirty, that kind of thing. They would wash their feet. So if you were a respected member, a respected guest coming into the household, then the servant would wash your feet. But Jesus said, you didn't wash my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears. And wiped them with her hair. He said, you didn't give me a kiss, but she has not stopped kissing my feet. She must have bowed down on her knees and been in tears and just thanking him. Maybe she was even there because she was hiding from everybody else, just wanting to thank him. He said, you didn't pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. And then he says this. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Now, her sins weren't forgiven because of her actions. Her sins were forgiven because she was a broken person seeking Christ. And it's her faith that she's exercising in this, an extreme humility But then Jesus says something very significant. He says, her sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. He has just told us about abundant love. And then he says, he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Why is he making that statement? Because of those listening, particularly the Pharisees, She's saying to them, you don't think you need to be forgiven. She knows she needs to be forgiven. She's the one filled with love, and you love very little. See, perhaps you think you don't need forgiveness very much. Well, maybe you just haven't matured enough to recognize things in your own heart, and you'll see it later. But if you've been through a measure of life and you don't think you need to be forgiven, then you do not understand the darkness of your own soul. The selfishness, the narcissistic tendencies to take advantage of other people, the lustful, coveting, lying thoughts, and sometimes actions. In fact, I knew I was a sinner when I became a Christian and I knew I had a lot that needed to be forgiven. But I see the old me now more clearly and more wretched than I saw it then. Because I see the picture of the holiness of Christ and just the little selfish desires that will pop into my heart. And I immediately say, oh, Lord, forgive me. Just for thinking that way. I know I need to be forgiven much. And I'm not ashamed to say I love the Lord God Almighty, Jesus the Christ. But I've been forgiven much. But he who has been forgiven little, in other words, who doesn't desire to be forgiven, loves little And then there's an additional part to that. You know, Jesus also taught in other portions of Scripture, for example, in one of the parables where a person had been forgiven much and then turns right around to someone who had a smaller debt and would not forgive. That he who loves much is one who receives and recognizes the need for forgiveness in their own heart and dwells in forgiveness, but is not a roadblock but is a, is a river through which the forgiveness of God flows in you to other people. That if you want to experience abundant love life, you are a person who embraces, receives, and dwells in forgiveness and who extends it to every person you encounter. Even the persons who are the worst to you. I have a lot of respect for Hetty because as she shared with us, she was willing to forgive the man who raped her. Even to the point of going to the prison to extend forgiveness to him. See, that tells me she understands that she has been forgiven completely And the one who loves her so richly loves through her to others. That we're not a perfect people, a perfect church. There is none. Christians are forgiven people who should demonstrate to the utmost degree forgiveness to others. But too often, we play games, we put on facades, we pretend I'm okay, but maybe you have your problems. Where Jesus called us to confess our sins one to another, that we would be healed, that we would be honest, that I've walked a broken path. But the Lord is good. Now, you see, Jesus said about this woman that your faith has saved you. And the people there, the guests looked and thought, Who is this that he even forgives sins? For they really knew that only God could do that. But there is no sin of any type that he does not forgive. We have some people that have been willing to share their journey, their testimony. It's on a video that I would like you to watch that talks about the utmost forgiveness of Christ.
2: My name is Tammy, and I'm on staff here at Celebration Church. I was a young lady who was very determined and outgoing. I was very active and and involved in my community and in my church. However my foundation and my relationship with God was a bit shaky. I found that my identity was very performance based, that I was a people pleaser and I was just checking off all the boxes. My Jesus story
3: um, starts and opens up probably when I was 13. I grew up in just a beautiful home out in the country in north central Ohio. You know, growing up in a home that sought God and honored God, um, that just really faded as I was growing up. And so I I didn't have an anchor. Um, On the outside, I was this, you know, put together, like really kind of perfect looking girl. Um, On the outside, it looked like I had it really together. On the inside, I was just a mess. Absolutely no, looking back in hindsight, that I substituted lust and attention and approval and performance um, for love.
2: In my 20s, I began to make some poor choices, and uh, I had a lot of unrelenting trauma happen in my life. Um, It was things that were a result of my own sin and then things where sin was done to me. There was a malevolent trauma that occurred which resulted in a pregnancy and then resulted in my own sin and moral injury. And I had, um, as a result, I had an abortion at the age of 26. I found myself as a single mom working three jobs, going to school full-time, and adding post-abortive to the list of things that defined me.
3: When I was in high school, I started dating a guy, and this became a pretty serious relationship. When I left home um, to start my freshman year of college, within the first two months of my college career, I was pregnant, and I was terrified. I was terrified of being humiliated, I felt so ashamed, I was so embarrassed, Um, and I was really terrified of that persona that I had created just um, coming, tumbling to the ground and everybody being able to see through it. I very intentionally looked for a crisis pregnancy center and a Christian crisis pregnancy center. And they put a photo album in front of me. And this photo album was of these horrific pictures of these aborted babies. And I just felt so condemned, so ashamed, so horrified. And honestly at the time I believed God was so angry with me and just hated me. I just believed that God wanted nothing to do with me because of what I'd done, because of my sexual sin. I ran out of that clinic just with hot tears of shame rolling down my face. I didn't even stick around long enough to see if those women were going to tell me that that God saw me and loved me and forgave me, I don't know. It just felt to me like they saw a cause rather than seeing a person. It's like they really believed they were doing something for God and they were telling me the truth, but they weren't telling me the truth with God's love. So my boyfriend and I at the time just decided we were gonna do this and we weren't gonna tell anybody. I thought it was a solution. And when I counseled with um, the women at Planned Parenthood, that's really how they presented it to me. I had no idea at the time the effects that it would have on me. Um, The anger, the guilt, the shame, the condemnation. I lost my voice that day.
2: In the weeks that followed my abortion, I began to have severe panic attacks. So I began to build up walls around me. I became very hypervigilant and just Constantly just working, trying to keep myself busy and keep my mind off of things. I began to isolate and I distanced myself from my family and friends. I wanted to constantly just cover up who I was and my shame and what I had done. And I didn't want anyone to find out, so I couldn't let myself get close to anyone else.
3: Years later, when I gave my life to Christ and invited Him to be my Savior, I just really thought at the time, wow, this is okay you know, he's going to get my life on track. And things began to um, get stirred up that I really didn't want to deal with. And this was one of them. I reached out to the person who was leading Celebrate Recovery here at the time. And she invited me to come. And I really thought I was coming because of anger issues, because of just some depression, just because of how much I was struggling with just navigating life and joy and just why I wasn't happy and what was wrong with me. And in our small, small group that night, our small discussion group, he had placed a woman there who was leading a Forgiven and Set Free study. So I stepped into that study with her and began to open up God's Word, began to read and discover who He is, what He says, who He says I am, And I got such a measure of healing and freedom. And I began to realize that God's heart truly is a heart of mercy. Um, God does not mince words. He absolutely calls sin and wickedness for what it is. But he absolutely gave away through Jesus Christ for it to be covered and dealt with.
2: I had received a lot of healing over the years in various forms of therapies and techniques, but I still had this thorn of anxiety that would creep up at various times, and there was a lot of shame and guilt that began to resurface. But I always thought of this thorn as what Paul talks about. I thought it was something that God kept there to keep me humble um, and just kind of a reminder of how undeserving that I was. But that's not the God that we serve at all. He wants his daughter to be healed and to be whole. This past summer, I attended a retreat that is for abortion wounded hearts. Um, It was there that I had a true encounter with God and that I received a great amount of healing um, from the Father. I was offered a safe space where I could open up and share about my story for the first time. I was able to grieve my child. I was able to memorialize her. Um, God showed me that I have a baby girl and that she is in heaven. And I was able to, for the first time, see her as a person, rather than this horrible traumatic thing that happened to me in my past. And I was able to restore my mother mantle and be reconciled with God and see the redemption that He has for me and what uh, what He did for me on the cross that truly paid for and covered everything that I had done. Um, years later, I thought
3: that you know I'd walked through a measure of healing, and I had um, gone to a conference in Knoxville, and um, at this conference were given bags of information. Um, and in this, this baggie, there was this brochure. And I just felt like God was saying, Kimberly, I have more for you. You really need to step into this with me. So I did. In 2013, I went to my own Deeper Still retreat. Um, I wasn't sure what to expect. Um, when I got there, I realized that there were men there. And I began telling God how this just wasn't gonna work and how I could not do this because when you put men and and women together, especially in a setting like this, it just changes the dynamics. And Lord, I just can't do this. And in that moment, in a way that only the Lord can, He just said, will you just trust me? Will you trust what I have for you and what I want you to receive? And so I said very honestly, I'm not sure, but I'll try. And so with just that little ounce of willingness, how he met me that weekend was was truly life-changing. And he delivered me from being just so broken and so ashamed, so fearful, and just believing that there was something wrong with me, to being a daughter of delight to him of being a woman of valor who has gotten her voice back, who has a whole heart to worship Him, um, who can speak to others who may be absolutely shackled by shame, and who can lead them to the foot of Jesus, to the mercy seat of Jesus, and just battle for the freedom that I know He has for them. I just wanna put a call out there to my abortion-winded brothers. You have a place in this fight. Your voice matters too. The Lord has more for you. He has restoration and healing and wholeness. He wants to absolutely transform you from a defeated warrior to a blessed man of God. And I pray and encourage you to just go after everything that He has for you. You won't be sorry joy like you've never known before. It's worth it. We need you.
2: My hope in sharing is also that you will realize that you're not broken beyond repair. Um, We're not broken, we're wounded, and wounds can be healed with a soul healer. He is faithful, and no matter what you've walked through, there's always hope and healing beyond that.
0: 10 months ago, Kimberly, who was one of the people in that video, um, she is over deeper still for Northeast Tennessee in this region. And she came and shared with the staff her story. And that was the first time that I had ever seen or heard from anyone that I knew um, that they had had an abortion. And it really um, softened my heart in ways that I didn't know I needed to be softened. And as I sat there and heard her story, I felt strongly God asking me to write a song. Um, for women and men who are post-abortive, a song of hope and healing, and to then choreograph a dance for it as well and make a a video to go with it. And um, abortion is not something that has been part of my story, so... Um, I started on the journey of looking for post-abortive women and interviewing them um, to hear their stories and to um, give me a look in to see how to write this song and how to write it in a way that would be effective and um, speak to those who are post-abortive. And over the last 10 months, I've had the honor of hearing six women's stories. And it has just been so humbling to me to hear how much shame and condemnation that they have lived in for so many years, and just all the lies they have believed. Um, I learned that 25 to 33% of all women in the church have had abortions, and that does not include men in that statistic who also um, participate in abortions. Um, so we um, were about to watch the video that we have created, and it is really my prayer that those of you who are post-abortive, that you would... Um, just feel God's mercy and love, but that for those of us who are not post-abortive, that our hearts would be softened, that we would see post-abortive women and men from the God's perspective. And I would just like to say um, to those of you who are post-abortive, um, as someone who is on leadership, I would just like to stand in and represent the church and just ask for your forgiveness for any way that the church has made you feel less than or that the blood of Jesus was not enough for your sins and that you have outsinned God's grace. I'm sorry for the ways that we have wronged you and that we have hurt you.
4: that this would solve my problem I felt trapped this was the only way out there was no wonder who could save me so I felt forced to take the life of my baby My voice was aborted that day I broke beneath the weight of my shame There's not enough time in the world To wash my hands of this blood I've tried so hard, but still I can't forget I've put on a mask as I try evil lifetime But I thought that I would never breathe again My fear drove me to that clinic And now depression drives me everywhere I go I numb the pain try not to feel it But anxiety is still in control My voice was aborted that day I broke beneath the weight of my shame There's not enough time in the world to wash my hands of this blood I've tried so hard but still I can't forget on a mask as I try to hide the evil lifetime but I thought that I would never breathe again can you forgive the wrong that I've done help me to believe that I hide out sin your grace you say my guilt on your son but you redeemed my past It's gone without a trace. You didn't turn and leave me on that day You're not the one who filled me with the shame All of my fear and regret me the end Blood. You saw my fall, but still you forgive. You pick up my heart and you say to me, child, you're not tight. You've restored my life, now I can breathe again.
1: Perhaps that's not your story. But we could have testimonies, videos of many categories in which we would fit, would we not? Now, one of the problems I believe in all churches is that we tend toward religion. And part of that tendency is to put on a facade and pretend that I've got it all together. I've never walked a path of sin and shame. And we try and hope that others will believe that and that I can keep it hidden. And you see, the spirits of evil want us to play that game of religion, falsehood, rather than be honest and recognize the deep need that each of us has. Because I don't know many of your individual stories, but I'm sure almost everybody here has The compartment of their life they would rather nobody knew anything about. Their guilt. Their shame. The places that even now, even though you know in your mind you are forgiven, in your heart, you just can't quite believe it's true. We desire to be as a church a place for broken people to find healing and wholeness. It was the message of Christ, was it not? He came not for those who thought they were righteous, but for sinners, for the outcasts, for the broken, the humble, the contrite. And I believe the message of Christ for every person in this room is that he is, his healing power, his redemption, his restoration, his renewal is greater than you have comprehended. I think that's one of the things I've learned in my journey with Christ, is that he does not treat you as you deserve. He treats you as one who is totally forgiven. A royal child of the king. That he blesses you greatly and abundantly in this world. And he wants to not restore you to what you were. But to make you into something totally new. One set free from the past. Filled with his spirit that you would be one who dwells in the richness of his forgiveness for you, that you would know you have been forgiven much in order that you might be a vessel of forgiveness and love for others. No matter what your story is, God can take it and redeem it and use it as a means to heal other people. So we're going to conclude with one song. And during this time, I would encourage you to be honest with God. Just lay before Him what is the deepest place of your guilt and shame? What needs healing? And my prayer is, whether you're here today or watching online or listening on radio, that the spirit of the living God would penetrate your soul, that you would find healing and wholeness in a greater way than you have ever known.
0: We hope that you enjoyed this podcast and that it blessed you in some way. Don't forget to visit our website at cctri.org. And make sure that you send us your prayer requests at office at cctri.org. We pray that the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him.